This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Romans. You can follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. And I'll be reading from verses 18 to 25 from chapter 8 in the New International Version. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in the hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The word of the Lord. I want to encourage you to keep that section of scripture opened up before us this morning as we move through the text together. And um, did everybody receive a card on their way in? that said groaning on the front of it? If you have, if you have a card or if you need a card, um, maybe Darby, you can hear me, right? She's, she's got some cards in the back. If you want to raise your hand, Darby will make sure you get a card if you didn't get one yet. So we're going to do a little bit of a, a writing practice this morning, but I think it's important to keep that word in front of you, groaning. So what is this all about? What is this groaning about? Now, when you look at and in particular, I would say in the New Testament, when you see certain words being used, like groaning, creation, in this particular text, you've got uh, liberation, you've got frustration, um, you've got words like freedom, future hope. There's all this language is rooted in a, in a bigger story. So it's important to keep in mind, as you're looking at these stories in the New Testament, they're pulling from a bigger story. So if you don't go back in the story, what can happen often is that you'll miss the point of what the author is intending to communicate. So going back in the bigger story is really crucial because it keeps us in the proper framework as we're doing our best to gain understanding of what the text is pointing us to. So Romans 8 is loaded with Old Testament connection. So this word creation um, the word liberation, there's two particular stories that I think the Apostle Paul is pulling from. One comes from the first few pages of the Bible, the creation story. And then the second one, um, this liberation talks comes out of the Exodus story. So we're going to need to know a little bit about the creation story and the Exodus story. And then we're going to need to know about this word groaning in order to understand what's going on in the story. So let's step back in the story of big Genesis chapter 1 the first several pages of the Bible we have God creating the heavens and the earth and the picture that we're given in the beginning is that God continues to call the earth his creation good how many times does he refer to as his recreation as good Do you know how many times there's your answer right seven times 
And then on the seventh time, what does he say? It's very good, right? It's not just good. Then he creates humanity and he calls it very good. So in the beginning, we have God creating heaven and earth. And the picture that we're given is we have harmony, we have connection, we have humanity deeply connected with God and with creation. So we can say that heaven and earth are completely woven together in the first bit of the Hebrew scriptures, completely woven together in complete harmony. Then along comes chapter three, because you can't really have an interesting story without some chaos in it. Chapter three comes, and humanity makes a conscious decision to kind of go out on their own and call their own shots. And then what happens to creation? There's a rip that happens. Heaven and earth are now ripped apart, and we have conflict. So as soon as God's good creation comes under different management, chaos comes into the story. So the moment humanity decides we want to be, we want to be shareholders in this organization, like we want to have some say in how the story is going. So as soon as humanity begins to take over and step into this position, you get what are called Genesis chapter 3 to 11. What happens when human beings take over? Genesis 3 to 11. Genesis 4, we have sibling against sibling. We have murder. I mean, just like four chapters in. Then we have a flood story. Some of us are familiar with the flood story, that things had gotten so bad that the earth itself had to be flooded and, to, and kind of wipe it out and start over again. And then we go through that whole story, and then we get to the Tower of Babel, and we realize, oh my gosh, this thing is a total mess. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a decision. I'm going to do something about all of this chaos. So he doesn't let it spin too long before he says, i got to do something. So God comes in looking for someone to partner with. God wants to partner with humanity in order to restore and redeem things. And so he chooses this man, Abraham, and through his family, he says, I'm going to restore and redeem the world and bless all the nations through you and your descendants. So we have the call of Israel in Genesis chapter 12. And then Abraham and Sarah are given this promise that through your line, through your seed is going to come the promised child. But Abraham and, and Sarah decide it's not going according to plan, so they step outside of God's plan. Again, poor management. And as soon as they step outside of God's plan, a whole nation is born and all kinds of chaos ensues because humanity, the moment that humanity decides we want to take over, things get really messy and complicated. And that's the story that we continue to see over and over and over again in Scripture. But doesn't it seem to be that God refuses not to partner with humanity? It's like he wants to partner with humanity. And he, and he wants to be in relationship with humanity. And he wants humanity to be part of the solution. He wants humanity to be in the story of restoring these broken systems and things that we have in place. So God continues to come down to be with his people. Then we get to this interesting word in Romans chapter 8, groaning. And it's a really, uh, it, should, it should really stick out to you when you're reading the text because the question you want to ask yourself is where is God pulling this from? Where is uh, Paul pulling this from? What is, what's with the groaning? So when you see these words, groaning, liberation, you see freedom, you see um, slavery, these are all signs that are pointing us to a bigger story. And the first time that we see the word groan show up 
in the narrative is back in the book of Exodus. So Exodus chapter 2, the first time that we see this word groaning show up in the story. Listen to the reading of Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During that long period of time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their help for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant that he made with Abraham back in chapter 12 with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, there's a lot going on there. The Israelites are now at the pinnacle of their suffering. They've kind of reached the, the tipping point, and they're being driven into the dirt by the Egyptians, and they're building bricks all day long in the hot sun, and they're groaning. But they're not just groaning because of their suffering. There's a different kind of groaning going on here. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 12, because in Genesis chapter 12, God made a covenant with Abraham as God's people and promised to do some things. And when God makes a covenant and a promise, we can count on that covenant and on that promise. I'm going to bless all nations through you. I'm going to deliver you. And yet, here they are already in Exodus chapter 2, and there doesn't seem to be any liberation coming. They've been here a long time. And they're groaning, and they're remembering what God did back then. And the question then comes up is, when are you going to deliver us? Where are you? And how are you going to deliver us? And so God sends them a deliverer by the name of Moses. Moses comes in. And through Moses, God does all of these miraculous signs and wonders and leads the people back into freedom. So there's all this tension in the story, the question of when and, and where and how. How is God going to deliver us in these moments of tension? And as you look at the bigger story of the Bible, what happens so often is that you see God's people coming into freedom, and then they go back into exile. And then freedom, exile. Freedom, exile. It's a story after story after story. So we get to the book of Isaiah, kind of like midway through the story. And Isaiah is a prophet, and Isaiah is, is calling the people back. Isaiah is calling the people back to repentance. And Isaiah makes this interesting statement in chapter 51, verse 9. And he says, awake, awake, arm of the Lord, clothe yourself with strength. We refer to the arm of God as the strong arm of God. You read out throughout the scriptures, God, um, strengthen your arm, come down and rescue us and save us. But yet, here's Isaiah telling God, your arm needs to wake up. Your, your arm has been asleep for a while. So it's weird. It's weird language. Do, do you pray that way? God, your arm is asleep. It needs to wake up. You need to come in and act when are you going to do this? Where are you? How are you going to do this? Because you've done it in the past, and I believe that you mean it when you say that you're going to deliver us, so your arm has been asleep. So wake up. So Isaiah is tapping into some bigger language here in the story. Wake up, O arm of God. But then listen to where he resolves this. Isaiah goes on to say 
in verse 11 of chapter 51, those the Lord has rescued will return. It's a promise. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be the crown of their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and groaning will be no more. Isn't that interesting? The groaning will end. Isaiah is going back. Isaiah is saying, God, you will liberate us because you are a liberator. This is the story of the Bible. It's a very familiar story. And it's a familiar story to us as well because if we're honest, we groan, don't we? If we listen to our prayers, we listen to our own hearts, there's a lot of groaning that happens deep inside of the human soul. I mean, all you have to do is drive through Seattle and you will groan. I drive uh, Rainier Avenue every day because my, my home of where we live. So as I come up Rainier Avenue, I see lots of brokenness and chaos. And on my way to the office the other day, I was at a stoplight and I saw a woman on the side of the road and she wasn't wearing any shoes and a ragged t-shirt and pants and she just looked like uh, just her life was in immense chaos and brokenness. And I began to feel the weight of that in that moment and I began to weep. There's a groaning that happens. This is not how things are supposed to be and we know it. Deep down inside, there's something in us that's groaning, that there's a, a groaning of this isn't how things are supposed to be. Things are broken. Things are out of control. And there's a groaning that happens deep inside of us. So when Paul talks about groaning and he talks about creation and he talks about liberation, Paul is pulling from a bigger story that's already been going on. And, and Paul's purpose for giving us this story in Romans is to encourage us and invites us uh, into a space of where we can put our hope. What are we hoping for? What are we hoping into? And Paul believes, and, and Paul is right to believe this, that the strong arm of God actually was answered to Isaiah's cry in the form of Jesus. That when Jesus showed up on the earth, that was God's answer to his strong arm waking up. So Jesus is like the strong arm of God. When we see him breaking into the scene, what does Jesus do? He liberates people, he sets people free, he brings people out of captivity. Everything that Jesus did points to a bigger story. This is the strong arm of God showing up. Jesus even said in his language, I've come and I've brought the kingdom of heaven down to earth. What is Jesus doing? He's bringing heaven and earth and weaving them back together and inviting all of us to do the same. So when we see Jesus acting, we see what the kingdom of heaven actually looks like. He's forgiving people. He's, he's doing radical forgiveness of, of sins and brokenness. He's moving into complicated relationships. He's reaching out to all kinds of different people. And he's showing us this is what it actually looks like to be a human being. Like, in the, we see it in Jesus. This is what it means to be human, to forgive, to love, to give yourself away completely. So when Isaiah is asking God, God, wake up, God responded by showing up in the form of Jesus. Jesus is God's arm fully awake. Isn't that beautiful? That imagery and then we see Jesus, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is here. That's all this liberation language 
coming into the scene. And for Paul, Jesus walking out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning was the total way of God saying, this is going to happen to all of you. This is not only going to happen to you, but it's also going to happen to creation itself. All this longing, this waiting, this groaning, this tension, what happened to Jesus is going to happen to all of creation. And that is where we sink our future hope, in the resurrection of Jesus. Now check out Romans 8. Let's dig into this a little bit deeper. In verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now Paul assumes that our lives here on earth are going to be marked with suffering. Because ever since the world came under new management, life continues to be really hard. Relationships are really hard if you haven't noticed. There's all kinds of brokenness and there's all these expectations and there's just constant disappointment after disappointment. And then to top it off, here's something that makes it even more glorious is that our bodies are breaking down. Have you noticed this thing called gravity? It's like it just wants to pull everything down and we want everything to go up, but it keeps pulling it down. It's winning, right? It's like the final curtain call awaits and we're all heading in that direction and we know it. Yet here's the beauty. Paul believes and understands and holds this conviction is that because of what Jesus did and what God did in Jesus, our present circumstances of suffering aren't even comparable to what's coming. They're like flea bites. They're just not even comparable. So this raises a really big question. What's ahead? Like, where are we going? What's, what's out there for us to hope in? Let's read on in the story so that we have a clear understanding and a proper vision of what's actually ahead. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Is our future as God's people somewhere else? Is our hope rooted in the belief that someday we're going to get off this earth and we're going to go to heaven because the earth is going to be destroyed someday? Now this raises a question for me. If this world is going to get destroyed someday, why would creation be waiting in eager expectation for that? If our idea of glory is that to leave this physical earth, go somewhere else, then what Paul is saying doesn't make sense. Is the glory of God, the idea of glory, to leave this and go somewhere else? But in Paul's mind, creation is longing for something, a future hope of redemption. Imagine a redeemed earth. That's, that's a compelling story. Imagine heaven and earth actually coming together once again and being fully woven back together. That's actually Revelation 21 has a lot to say about that. That the city of God will come down and there'll be a, a whole new heaven and a whole new earth coming together down here. And in Paul's mind, creation itself is longing for that. It's like creation is groaning for that day, waiting for that day. And then Paul calls it the revelation of God's 
children. Our future is going to be redeemed. The future world we live in, our bodies, everything is going to be redeemed. We're all headed towards liberation. It's like we're returning back to Genesis chapter 1 where it was all together. And then you look at Romans 8 chapter, chapter 8 verse 20. It says creation was subjected to frustration and not by its own choice but to the will of the one who subjected it. What happened to creation in Genesis chapter 3? It got frustrated. Now, and as a result, creation is now groaning. I wanted to show this to you. This, this is one of my most prized possessions. This is called a Larvae Jumbo Body. It's a 30th anniversary edition, limited edition. There are 88 of these made. This is number 76. I hold before you number 76. <laughs> and it's a handmade guitar by Jean Larivet in British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. I bought this 25 years ago. It's like a fine wine. It only gets better with age. And it's got this, it's got this rosewood on the back and on the sides, um, just beautiful inlays. It's a really beautiful guitar. It's like an extension of my own heart. It's my strong arm. This is a beautiful guitar. And it's meant to be played because it sounds amazing. Now, if I took this guitar, and I have a friend in this family, his name is Nate Luce. Nate, right over here. If I were to say, Nate, I want you to have my guitar. And I gave my guitar to Nate. Nate can't play the guitar. Nate's good at a lot of other things, but not guitar. If I gave this guitar to Nate, Guess what would happen to this guitar? It would experience frustration, right? All right am I right, Nate? This thing would experience some frustration, point, point on, okay? <laughs> under, under different management, under different ownership, it wouldn't do the thing that it was designed to do. It's designed to be played. It's designed to make sound and music. And under the proper ownership and management, it would fully live into what it was created to do. You see, this is what Paul is talking about, that creation itself is experiencing frustration. It's like, it's frustrated. <laughs> and I, I, I wonder, like, is that the best analogy I can come up with? I think so in this moment. Like, creation itself is frustrated. Frustrated by what's going on and what's happening and what's going on in the world and why and why again and again is this happening. Now Paul understands that our world does not need to be destroyed. Our world needs to come under new management. Paul also believes that there is only one human being that's actually wise enough to bring our world back into order and that person is Jesus Christ. There's no human no organization, no one can bring the world back into order. It's through Jesus that it happens. Jesus is the one wise enough that can bring order back into the chaos. Jesus began something when he said the kingdom of heaven is now here. He showed us what it looks like when heaven and earth start to get woven back together again. God comes down, he begins to liberate, that's another theme in the Bible is that God always seems to be coming down to be with humanity and with creation itself. 
And what I think Paul is saying here is that whatever happened in the book of Exodus is going to happen to all of God's people and all of God's good creation. However, in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of groaning. In fact, when you become a Christian and you give your allegiance to Jesus and you place your faith and your trust in Jesus and you say, I'm all in with Jesus, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to groan a lot. How's that for an invitation? Who wants to be a Christian? Because when you say yes to Jesus, you're going to groan. But there's something to the groaning. There's a, there's a longing. There's a hope. There's like, I want, I want this good world to be reinstated. I want God to do something in this world. And I want to be a part of that. And I want to help restore that which has been taken. And so it's like we're, we're constantly being invited into the bigger story of liberating humanity and all the chaos and doing something about it. God is inviting us into the story. And the thing that I keep seeing is that God's not going to do this apart from humanity. God wants to partner with us. That's the kind of God that we serve. A God that's like, I want to be in, in relationship with you and I want to partner with you. But the grand announcement is, friends, when Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, that's our story. That's it. That should give us deep hope. That's our story. That someday Jesus came to do the things that we couldn't do so that we could live and learn how to live into the things that he invited us into. So Jesus walking out of the tomb is a picture of our future. Someday all of us are going to wake up and we're going to be fully alive and fully liberated. Isn't that good news? That's like really good news for all of us, for all the chaos, for our cities. I mean, imagine, you think the Pacific Northwest is beautiful now? Like, wait. Wait until it's liberated. Then you're going to see something even more beautiful. And you might walk around on that day going, man, this looks familiar. This looks familiar. Those cascades look familiar. What, what's different about them, though? They're renewed. They're redeemed, they're liberated. The groaning has come and has ceased and is no more. And instead, the groaning has become an endless hallelujah where we sing and we praise. I was thinking about Jesus' resurrected body as a picture of the future for all of us. Think about the resurrected body of Jesus. He shows up. Sometimes they recognize him, sometimes they don't. What does that say about his resurrected body? It's him, but there's something different. There's like different dimensions to it. He eats food, right? He shows up and he's like, I'm hungry. I've been dead for three days. I need some food. And he eats food. He's, he's fully liberated. It's his resurrected body, but he's still got scars in his hands. He's still got scars. And he shows the people his scars. So there's something about the resurrected body of Jesus that should give us immense hope. And then you think about Jesus showing up in a room and then disappearing. It's like, what is going on there? I don't know. I don't understand it. But there's something about the resurrected body of Jesus that's recognizable and not recognizable. So that means that in the new heaven and the new earth, when I'm walking around in my resurrected body and I see across the room, there's Dennis Smart. Look at Dennis. And Dennis, I'll be like, kind of like you look familiar. You look real familiar. It's Dennis, but it's Dennis 2.0. It's like super Dennis. And there's something different about that resurrected body. And that's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. That's Christianity. We get to hope for that. 
That when we see Jesus walking out of the tomb on the third day, that's for all of us. That's going to happen to all of us and creation itself. Can you imagine a renewed Seattle? <sighs> I mean, that's good news. Really good news. That's the good news that we get to hope for, friends. I, I hear that news and I think, why wouldn't anybody want to be a Christian? That's the best news that you could possibly hear. That God's going to renew all things. He's going to liberate all of it. Who wants in on that? I, I want in on that. Well, let's get to work now. Let's do it now. Let's start to, to bring up these things in people's lives now. Let's work on relationships. Let's work on restoring things now. Because that's what we're hoping for. But here's the other side. In the meantime, we groan. In the meantime, we get frustrated. And I know that some of you here are in a season of groaning. You're groaning. What is that about? What's, what's behind the groan? What's under the groan? What's going on? I want us to take a few moments before we come to the table to take the good gift of God's grace and just to sit with that for a moment. So what's going on with my groaning? And if you want to write as Julie takes us through the Eucharist and as Jared plays piano, if you want to write things where God can meet you in that space, because I can't think of a better time to do it than during communion. Because again, communion is that declaration that what we see Jesus doing is what's going to happen to all of us in the future. That's hope. That's the thing that actually pulls us forward into something more beautiful so that we can be a people who sing a glorious hallelujah in the face and in the place of all the groaning. May we be a, a hallelujah, uh, an endless praise kind of people where we believe in something deeper than what we're currently experiencing right now. Jesus, today we choose to groan with creation. We groan because we groan with people who have hope. Not as a people who are without hope. We groan because we long to see all things liberated. So in the meantime, we hold it all before you and say, Holy Spirit, move in power and in glory. Continue to heal all the things in each one of us that needs to be healed. Heal our neighbors. Heal this island. Heal Seattle. Move in power and majesty. We place our trust, our faith, and our allegiance in you. The one true king who became what we are so that we could become what you are. We cling to hope. We ask that you, Jesus, would reign and rule in this place. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, grace and peace be with you. If you need prayer this morning, you're in a season of groaning. We have some people up front that would love to pray over you and with you. So please come forward when you're comfortable to receive prayer and hope.
Go in peace.